we thank you for walking with us in good times and in bad, for shelter and safe spaces. We thank you when we have more than we need and when we struggle to get by. We thank you for how your creation leaves us in awe wherever we look. We thank you through the adventures and the everyday routines. We thank you for friendships and family, for laughter, comfort, and warmth. We thank you for new beginnings and closed doors. We thank you for the times when we should build and when we should start over. As seasons change and we walk into an uncertain future, we cling to you, the one who holds it all in your hands. From beginning to end, from death to life, from shattered to saved, we thank you. Morning. Good morning. All right. All right. Carol said, "Don't be." Or actually, uh, yeah. Uh, Chris said, "Hey, we're all friends here this morning." I'm not sure that makes it better or worse, um, but I know we're all friends here. So we're going to start off with uh, how I hope this doesn't go. So, 20 some years ago, uh, we had a church softball league here, and I think I'm the only one here who actually played in that softball league, and. Um, I'm not real athletic, I'm not overly coordinated, but I can hold my own. I can catch, throw, uh, I can shoot a basket. But I got to play right field. If you know anything about softball, you put the people who can't play very good in the right field, because not very many people hit the right field. But we were short one night on uh, a team, and I got to play third base. I was like, this is my chance, right? I get to play infield, I get to field more balls. And lo and behold, there's a ground ball, hit the third base, and in my mind, I knew exactly how this was going to go. I'm going to scoop the ball up. I'm going to toss it to my throwing hand. And I'm going to, in a leaping throw, I'm going to throw to first base and get the guy out. And in my mind, it's like, this is going to be great. Well, I got the ball. I got it to my throwing hand. I'm leaping, probably looking like Tinkerbell at this time. <laughs> and the ball comes off my hand wrong and lands just past the pitcher. So hopefully this goes like it is in my mind and not <laughs> like the softball game. Uh, and preparing for this, it gave me a newfound respect for those who have to do this every week. Um, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's humbling. Uh, and it's tough. Uh, it takes a lot to prepare uh, to do a message like this. Um, but let's start with this. So if we're all, and I, I'm pretty safe uh, in saying this, I believe, all of us got here today probably by driving ourselves or with somebody. We got here in a car. Nobody uh, was at the door hackling you about coming here. My guess is nobody was at your house making fun of you for coming here. You came to worship today with no hindrances. That in and of itself, oh yeah, the kids can go. I don't know why they're waiting for permission on that, but um, 
but you're more blessed than, prob- than roughly 3 billion people in this world that you can just have the freedom and come and worship today. If you have food in your refrigerator at home, you're, you're richer than 75% of the world's population. And if we could shrink the world down to a village of 100, so a little more than what's here today, 70 would be non-Christian, 30 would be Christian, 50 of us would live in substandard housing, Actually, 80 would live in substandard housing. 50 of us couldn't read. And 50 uh, would also suffer from malnutrition. So I think we can all look at our own lives and know that we are blessed. We are blessed to be able to be here, and uh, God has showed his, his hand of favor on, upon us. So today I want to look at <clears throat> three B's of God's character that I think we should be thankful for. Um, We're going to start in a story of Joseph, Uh, Genesis chapter 45. It's going to be on the screen, verses 1 through 8. This is towards the, uh, this is when Joseph gets reunited with his brothers. And my first B is going to be the God who goes before us. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold, you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and, be, and there are yet five years to which there will be uh, neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So... It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me the father of Pharaoh, the lord of his house, and the ruler over all the land of Egypt. So we can read the entire story of Joseph in about 20 minutes. And you can read that story, and in 20 minutes you can see beginning to end how God went before him and prepared a way. Joseph, on the other hand, this was about 20 years. From the time he got sold to slavery to the time that he met his brothers, we're talking roughly 20 years. So do you think Joseph felt that God was going before him when he was in the well? What about when he was sold to slavery? Put in jail? Forgotten in jail? And when I read this, and I see where it talks about Joseph wept, he wept loudly, uncontrollably. I think it was at that point in time that Joseph realized this is what God's plan was for me. He did go before me. He did make a way for me. He was preparing me to do something else, um, and that was to save what ended up being the Israel nation. I think we have a preconceived notion, or a lot of people do, that a life with Christ is easy. Life will be easy if I have Christ in my life. And it's just not reality. It's not what Scripture says. Life will be easier, but it won't be easy. And uh, I have a friend who uh, grew up in Iran, and we were talking a while back, and I asked him, 
I said, where are you at on Jesus? I know your history. Where are you at on Jesus? And he says, I've read the book of Moses. I've read the book of Muhammad, and I've read the book of Jesus. And I think Jesus is the best way. Now, that conversation went on to other things, but he never said it'd be easy, and he's had all sorts of stuff in his life. But he admitted that I think it's probably the best way. And I, had a, I knew another young man who accepted Christ, had a series of things happen in his life, out of his control, and he just was done. He's like, I don't understand. I might as well just hang it all up because I thought it would be easy once I accepted Christ. I said, it never says it would be easy. It would be easier, but it won't be easy. And I think in our Western culture, we tend, to th- we tend to look at it as, well, if it's not easy, I'll just give up. I'll do it my own way, um, and I'll just take control. And we know how that usually ends. But I, as we live in this culture we live in, God gave us the gift of free will. He gave Adam and Eve the gift of free will, which led to their fall, which led to a fallen world. And this world will never get any better than it is today. The corruption, the immorality, the evil, all of those things will only get worse until Christ returns. We can save our neighbor, we can minister to our communities, we can do certain things, but the society we live in, will, can, because of a fallen world, it will always get worse. So it's never going to be easy. But through all of those things, God does go before us. He does help prepare that way. He does help carry that burden. But God's not the one who causes the suffering. That's the fallen world. <clears throat> As many of you know, um, I've directed a children's camp for many, many years. Um, and we've had always have had stuff. We've had illness and we've had sickness and we've had injuries and year of COVID we we actually still got to go the year of COVID we're the only camp that went that year um but this last year we had a tragedy that ended up in a death and it was tough the the one there was a couple things that through all of that that God did reveal to me some things about his character that I did learn through that that I'd not had to deal with anything like that before. I've had to deal with death in my life, but I've not had to deal really with any tragic death in my life. And the regional director, when we met with staff uh, to wrap that week up, the regional director shared a quote um, from William Young, it's out of the book, The Shack. Just because I work incredible good out of unspeakable tragedies doesn't mean I orchestrated the tragedies. Don't ever assume that my using something means I caused it or that I need it to accomplish my purpose. That will only lead you to false notions about me. Grace doesn't depend on suffering to exist, but where there is suffering, you will find grace in many facets and colors. A week after the tragedy, I was going on my walk um, and just spending some alone time, and God assured me that he did not kick over my building blocks. And this is now at a point where you're just mad. God, why did you do this? Why, why did this happen to that ministry there? One month before that tragedy, there was 30 kids baptized in that same lake. Why? Why did you do that to me? And there was a lot of people asking those questions. And he assured me, I didn't kick over your building blocks. That's a result of a fallen world. I will help you put them back. 
And that's what, you know, uh, ever since then, we've had a tremendous amount of peace about it uh, in our household, and I think for most of us who have been involved. Weeks later, um, I do quite a bit of journaling. I was flipping back through my journal, um, which is fun to do sometimes, and it does help you realize where God has provided. I came across the devotion that I wrote the Sunday before camp that I was going to share with staff when they arrived on Monday. And we usually do a time together as staff and want to encourage and kind of, hey, big hoorah for the week, and we're going to conquer and, and be, uh, be successful in ministry together. And it was a devotion that was out of Judges, the story of Gideon, and I rewrote the passage. This is Gideon's dialogue with the Lord about going into battle, and I rewrote the passage for this devotion for me and that week, for me and the staff in that week. Excuse me. But God, if the Lord is with me, why have all these things happened? Stress at work, stress at church. Had a lot going on at work during that time. We, we were just wrapping up past our church team here. And John's transition, um, we were behind on camp planning. I couldn't find a worship leader leading in the head into camp. Stressed with kids, just had one get married, had one finish in her first year of college, the stuff going on in the economy, he had war, uh, war in Ukraine, he had all the stuff going on. Shall I go on, Lord? At times I feel like you just abandoned me. God says, go do this week on your own. Did I not put you in this position? Don't doubt me. Lord, why am I directing this camp? Why are all these staff here? We are all just normal people. And he says, you, you all answered my call to be here this week. I will be with you and your staff. Satan and his evil army will not win this battle against you. That was written on Monday. Our tragedy was on Wednesday. God did put everybody in the right spot for that week. And sometimes when I look at who's going to be on staff heading into camp, it makes you, dear Jesus, what are you doing this week? Because you're just looking at who's on the list. I had a firefighter on staff, two nurses, athletic trainer, like the best Boy Scout leader you could ever have. Uh, if I ever want to be stuck in a wilderness, I want him with me. And another nurse who just happened to be in Adrian, Michigan, which is 20 minutes up the road from camp that day. He did have everybody in the right place to deal with that that week. It's not the outcome that we wanted, but he still uh, helped us work through it. Another quote I came across that I think is, is timely on this. Uh, it's from Elizabeth Elliot uh, through her book. It's a book that she wrote. It's called Through the Gates of Splendor. I've not read the book, um, but I think the, the quote uh, is good as we think about God does go before us in the good and the bad. It doesn't matter. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God is of a different nature altogether. It does not hate tragedy. It never denies reality. It stands in the very teeth of suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. The cross was proof of his love. That he gave that son, 
that he let him go to Calvary's cross through legions of though legions of angels might have rescued him. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything that it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. God's timeline's infinite. Ours is finite. And God may be doing something in your life, this tragedy this summer. God may be working through that for two generations from now. I don't know. I, I commonly a lot of times say, you know, God planted the sycamore tree long before um, Zacchaeus was going to need it. We just don't know, and we just have to trust and believe that God is going before us, and he is preparing a way. All right, second B, God who blesses us. We're going to look at Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3. This is going to be the blessing uh, on Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's two blessings here. The first one is, uh, is more immediate, and it's a blessing for obedience. So Abraham was giving up everything. He was giving up the place he was born. He was giving up his family, and he was going to a place that he did not know. He was being obedient, and God was going to bless him in things, and more specifically, offspring. He was going to give him kids for his obedience. It's a blessing for his obedience. The second blessing that's in this, which is more uh, important, is it was a blessing for Abraham's faith. And it was a spiritual blessing um, that all of us would be justified through faith. We like to think that this blessing, when I read that, let's see, does it say, let's see, all the Jewish people and those in North America will be blessed through him? No. All peoples on earth will be blessed through him. This second, this second um, blessing here, this, this one for his faith, is available to everyone. Everyone has access to that. It was a promise that was later fulfilled in the Messiah that came from the lineage of Abraham, a Messiah for both Jews and Gentile, a Savior for the sick. Now, all who accept that, sal- that message of salvation, who comes to Christ, can experience this blessing. I like how Paul put it in Galatians. Uh, this is in chapter 3. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Know then that is, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And we'll just skip to verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All too often, our Western culture looks at blessing and think, well, it's health, wealth, and prosperity. 
those again are all temporal things, and that's not the blessing God's really talking about. There's, and we're going to get into blessing out of the New Testament and what that may look like as well. But this blessing that he gave to Abraham and through Abraham was for all peoples. Anybody who accepts the gift of, of Christ's salvation, this gift of eternal life is there. It's not just for us. It's not just for Israel. It's, not, it's for anyone who makes that claim. So let's look at the New Testament. Uh, in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. We all know those. The Greek word there for blessed is makarios. And several years ago, there was a group that actually translated that, thought it would work better, um, as happy. And that didn't fit real well in the Western culture. And happy is temporary. Happy is a feeling. So they said, well, maybe a better word is flourish. And maybe even a better word is joy. And it's a joy which is serene and untouchable. And I'm hopeful that most of us here have have experienced that joy. You can't describe it. You can't explain it. There's this something about an event or a time or whatever where you just, I feel blessed. And in the end, it's like, I was just filled with joy. So a few weeks ago, we had a gathering here on a Sunday evening where we just read scripture, had communion, and then we spent time in fellowship downstairs at least for myself and with Pastor John, there was a serene joy about that night that I can't explain. I left filled up, packed down, spilling over with joy. It was a blessing. And I think that's the blessing that, that God wants us to have. It's the, it's the blessing that he wants to give. He loves giving that blessing. But that's a two-way street. We have to be in a spot and open to be able to accept it. John and I actually left that night. We actually stacked 12 stones outside of his window of his office because we wanted to remember that night. It was a good night. God was here, and he blessed us. If we want to see God's blessing, I have realized we have to look in the rearview mirror, not the windshield. Because if we look in the windshield, a couple weeks ago, John talked about the water and the waves and what all, that, all the turmoil that that represents. And if we look out the windshield, that's all we will see. We'll see all the storms. We'll see everything going on around us. And we're like, where is God in all that? But if we look out the rearview mirror, we realize God did provide through all of that. Man, he was in this little detail and he's in that little detail. This is why I like to journal. If I wouldn't have journaled, I never would have found where God was actually going before me at camp. We have to, we have to look in the rearview mirror to see where God really is blessing us. A God who believes in us. How do I know God believes in me? Because he loves me. How do I know that he loves me? It's proclaimed in his word over and over. God demonstrates his love for us through the entire Bible. It's a tapestry, Old Testament, New Testament. It's an intricate weaving of a story and a thread of God's love for us. We can look at the Old Testament and it's like, well, I didn't, 
I don't know if I see God's love in dealing with the Israelites. I mean, he's always, seems like he's always burning with anger with them. Some, some read all that and see a God of wrath. I read all that and see a God of reconciliation and love. Were there consequences? Yep. Were they disobedient? Yep. Did he reconcile them? Yep. Did he keep his promise? Absolutely. And did he always provide for them? Sure did. So this goes back to by discipline, you are showing that you love them. If you don't discipline, you're actually showing you don't love them. Think of your own children. When you discipline your kids, did you love them less? No, you discipline them because you're trying to correct and guide and, and keep them on a, a good path. You do it because you love them. Genesis three sixteen and 21, this is after Adam and Eve are, are found out. Um, I don't know why they thought they could hide, but they thought they could hide, and they got found out. Um, God said to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but, you sh- but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I told you not to, you shall... Uh, told you not to you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return the man called his wife's name eve because she was the mother of all living and this is, this is the main point of this passage. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And this is one that, you know, recently I've read this multiple times, but verse 21 just was like screaming, flashing lights at me on what a sense of love. Here you have a dialogue of heaping punishment on top of them for their disobedience. For their sin, there's going to be consequences. But I found it so interesting at the end of that, so the, the, the same guy who said, these things are going, this is how life's going to be now, you made a choice, this is how life's going to be, immediately turns around then and clothed them. Sacrificed an animal, so an animal's blood was spilt to create clothes out of skin to clothe them. And I just see this just loving nature of God who still believed in Adam and Eve. Yes, there was consequences for their actions, but he still believed them. And at that point, started to create a way for us to be able to spend eternity with him even then. This and I got this image of, um, you know, this blood of this animal being spilt to create the clothes and how s- the, the similarity or the parallelism of Christ's blood being shed to cover my own nakedness, my own naked conscience, my own naked sin, um, 
God set that path clear back with Adam and Eve right after the fall. And to make this even more humbling, then when I read Psalms 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you are you know it all together. You hem me in, behind me, and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Man, how humbling. God knows everything going on in my head. That's scary. I don't even like to know everything going on in my head sometimes. But even with that, he still offered his son for me. I just, I don't know about for you, I cannot hardly get my arms around that. I can't grasp it. Um, a friend asked me yesterday, he told me he was praying for me today, and I said, you know, I said, I appreciate that. I said, the more I dig into this, the more almost emotional I become because you, you, you dig further into God's word and you find these little things like that and you start weaving it all together and it's like, man, even in all my brokenness, God still loves me, still believes in me, and wants what's best for me. Even after knowing all the things I'm thinking about, have thought about, going to think about, all of it. And it's just, it's really humbling. In Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That there is the ultimate testimony that God does believe in me, in you, in all of us. He loved me so much that he created a path, going clear back to Adam and Eve, a path that he made a covenant with Abraham on for me to be able to spend eternity with him. And... I like having discussions about heaven. I have no idea what it's going to be like other than it's going to be better than where we're at today. Jokingly, I always say, probably not going to be things on that banquet table that I want, but hey, we'll take the chance. My kids and I always joke around about losing jewels out of our crowns, which I know is not accurate either, but it is a good reminder that what I just did probably isn't pleasing to the Lord. Here in a minute, the worship team is going to come up and close us in our, our last song. Um, but I think if we want to experience God's, if we want to experience these things, a God who believes in us, a God who goes before us, and a God who blesses us, we have to abide in him. This is not a... Um, come on Sunday or come on Wednesday night and that's all I do and then I'm going to experience these things. It's about abiding. Jeremiah talks about uh, the blessing that comes when we anchor in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water, sends out his roots up by the stream, does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, 
and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So are we living that way? When you leave here today, are you living like you're abiding in him? Or do you just resort back to the world's way of life, taking things in our own hands? Several years ago, I listened to a message on what it looks like to abide in Christ 24-7, seven days a week. It's not easy. But that is what it takes if we want to experience these things from God. It's not about just coming to church on a Sunday and singing some nice songs and going home. It's not about just going to a Bible study and learning more about God's Word. Those things are important, don't, don't get me wrong. But it's more than that. You know, you can join a discipleship group. We're talking a lot about discipleship groups and life groups. And you can do those. Those, are, again, are good things. But if those things aren't changing how you think, walk, act during the week, it doesn't matter. And we can sacrifice our time by coming here on a Sunday or sacrifice our time by going to a discipleship group or sacrifice our money by giving to a ministry. But uh, in our reading this last week... Saul thought it was more important to sacrifice too than obedience. And Samuel set him straight on that. God doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. And his obedience is he wants you to be with him. He wants you to walk with him daily, every minute, every hour. Are we looking for the things that are the little details that God can help out with? That's what he wants. like God goes before us. We need to live like he desires to bless us and walk in confidence that he believes in us. It's really easy to start to think that we don't measure up when we look at the various roles we play. We play roles of husband, dad, employee, elder, whatever. Everybody has the roles you play in life. And if you look at that, you'll start to think, well, I don't measure up. I'm doing I'm, man, I'm a bad parent today, so I'm, I'm nobody. Or I'm a bad worker today, so I'm a nobody. It all comes back to if we rest in the fact that God believes in us, that's where our identity's at. It's all in God. And that's where our confidence needs to come from. God demands my obedience. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for who you are that God, you do go before us. Even in the hard times and the bad times and the good times, you've gone before us. Lord, that you do desire to bless us. You want to bless obedient hearts. And Lord, even in all of our messed up lives and sinful nature, you still gave us the the ability to, to receive the ultimate blessing, which is life and eternity with you. And Lord, you showed so much love for us in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. The ultimate testimony, Lord, that you do believe in us. Thank you for, for just being here today sing this last song, Lord, may this be uplifting to our hearts and to you. We just ask these things in your name. Amen.